Hello and welcome again to Geeking Out, a Steal This Idea podcast. My name's Andrew Burkham and I'm here to explore the interesting, the unusual, and the unique with our guest tonight. But before we get into that, let's turn things over to Noelle. Hi, Noelle. Hi, Andrew. Thanks so much for having us again here at Phoenix Podcast Network Studios. It's my I was just saying it's my favorite time of the week. My favorite part of Thursday is coming up to Modesto and geeking out with everybody here. Uh, and I would like to introduce our guest for the evening. Miss Tanisha is right here. You want to say hi, Tanisha? Hi. How are you guys? <laughs> We're great. Tanisha's like, do do I talk? Do I do? You're, you're, <laughs> do, I do things? You're, <laughs> you're um, more than allowed to talk. Hi, I'm Tanisha uh, or Keish, either one, depending on what coast you know me on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am a 33 year old, whatchamacallit, in Merced, California. <laughs> That's my favorite intro that we've ever done so far. That was fantastic. Uh, yeah, so we're really excited to geek out tonight. And we're going to start tonight. We're we're changing our format just a little bit this week. So well, I feel like what we're doing is getting a format. Well, yeah, we're actually creating a format. Yeah, yeah. So far, uh, we've been doing just kind of long form interview on this mm-hmm. show, which is great. Awesome. But we decided this week we would mix it up just a little bit, and uh, we we're going to do some different things this week. So first, we're going to start with a segment that I like to call the most interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And so, in the most interesting thing, what we're going to do is we're going to go around the table and we're each going to talk briefly about something we discovered this week whether it be in the news or in the world or just in our lives something that's very interesting to us and uh, we're going to discuss that and then you the listeners uh, you can share your most interesting things with Mm. us too by tweeting at podcast phoenix on twitter or looking up at podcast phoenix on uh, facebook as well and if you find something that you would like us to feature in the most interesting things next week, make sure you get those to us so that we can bring those up as well. So we're going to start with Noel. Noel, what's the most interesting thing this week? Well, I actually had a very interesting thing from yesterday. I got to have a little bit of PD with uh, MCOE, which is a lot of letters. But what it means is that I got to go to a really cool uh, talk and conference with some of my colleagues. And during that, the speaker, who was wonderful, brought up a point about schools in Vermont. Now, I am an education geek. That's one of the things that I do in uh, education policy and uh, uh, pedagogy is very important to me. And so one of the things that's always bothered me about school is grades. It's just it's hard for me to deal with the idea that people are, are assigned a yes or a no in terms of some of sometimes what can be very um, uh, subjective material. So it was nice to hear that Vermont is apparently moving almost entirely to a uh, competency-based system and no longer grading students. So now it's all uh, mastery-based and competency-based. And if I still have to do a little bit more research on it, but if I'm correct, they still have enough protocols in place that those kids can still go on to uh, to universities based on these competency reports that they get, which to me is fascinating. And I can't wait to see the research on that and kind of the metrics that are involved in that. Because obviously, we want to make sure that kids are well-educated and well-informed. Uh, but 
don't have to deal with the stress of is this an A or is this a, a, an F, but rather, did I prove competency? I think that's exactly how to do it. And I'm super excited to look at it more. I heard that and my whole day got better. <laughs> Yesterday was really, I mean, the speaker was great. Everything was great. But she said that and I, I pretty much tuned out for the last half hour just <laughs> geeking out in my head about that. Well, that is an interesting thing. It's an interesting that thing. That is an incredibly interesting thing. I have an interesting thing, too, and it's it's about as different from that as you could possibly get. Oh, dear. <laughs> yes. My interesting thing involves one of my lifelong interests, and that is alcohol. <gasps> what? <laughs> right? So, I don't know if you've heard, uh, but next year, Disneyland, which is another of my, my interests, right? Disneyland, mm -hmm. they're opening their new Star Wars-themed land, which is uh, it's called Galaxy's Edge. That's how they're billing it. And I'm very excited to kind of see in about three years when you can walk through it. Uh, I'm very excited to get there and to kind of see what that looks like and that recreation in the real world of those kind of movie scapes, very much the way that they did with the, the Cars Land in Disney's California Adventure, right? Which is amazing. It's incredible. It's just this whole sort of placemaking experiment, and I love it. But mm -hmm. the real news this week from Disneyland is that in this Star Wars land that they're creating, they're going to have a cantina, much like you had in the, in the original right. Star Wars film, right? That cantina in Disneyland, Disneyland Park, is going to serve alcoholic beverages, Huh. Now, the interesting thing about this is, if you know uh, Disneyland history at all, mm. uh, this will be the first open service of alcoholic beverages in the Disneyland park itself since 1955. Now, Club 33, which is their private members only club, of right. course, uh, has been serving alcoholic beverages from pretty much day one of its opening. But never in that specific park has there been alcoholic beverages served. So I'm I'm really interested to see what that means. Are we looking at a culture shift in, mm -hmm. in that particular park? Now, the article that I read goes on to mitigate this a little bit and says, you know, it's not going to be uh, the beverages that are there. Uh, there you know, you, there's no ordering off menu. Mm. So you can't just go into Disneyland and pick up a vodka tonic and sort of walk around with it. All of those beverages must be consumed within that establishment itself. Right. And it sounds like there's going to be no food service in, in that particular establishment as well so it's you know it's not like they're just kind of dropping a bar in there it's more of a, it's more of kind of a thematic piece which i you know i think sure. is you know is very story appropriate but i just found it interesting that here we are you know since 1955 we've had a tradition in the park and it's being broken for the first time uh starting next year so that's my most interesting thing this week. I think that's really interesting. And it makes me geek out on whether or not uh, you said uh, kind of a culture shift. And it makes mm -hmm. me go that, that not just in Disney culture, but like, what does that say about like the American family and, and how how alcohol is perceived within the culture of the American family? Uh, obviously, this wouldn't be a place you would probably go with. It, like, would it, are children allowed in this establishment, this particular establishment? Yeah. So it is uh, it serves both uh, both non-alcoholic as well as alcoholic okay. drinks is, is the uh, is the news out of it so it's an it's an interesting concept yeah. now i will say you know i i again having have been in the disney parks a lot especially since we used to to live down there we we kind of lived in those parks for a lot of years right. and with the advent of california adventure and alcohol being served in that park it's a very different atmosphere than what you get at a, a lot of you know what you would consider to be the amusement parks where mm -hmm. you've got alcohol sales it's really not out of control. It's it's very well kind of kept in check, right. I think, by the uh, by the establishment there. And so, I, you know, I look forward to kind of seeing how it shapes up. 
I'm not tremendously nervous about it, but I do think it'll cause a stir in that community. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting to see. We'll have to we'll have to watch that closely and do a follow up later on after you've had you know a drink or two at the cantina. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's my most interesting thing, Tanisha. What's what's your most interesting thing this week? Huh. So I've been kind of bouncing back between uh, these pygmy bunnies and uh, selling out of an event for a farm to fork thing. So I'm gonna cheat and do both. Uh, so the <laughs> thank first goodness because one... I didn't know how you were gonna choose, and I was very upset for a second that I wouldn't hear about one or the other. Please go ahead. So yes. There's these little tiny pygmy bunnies that have been endangered, and they've had the first successful uh, breeding of them in ca- ca- captivity, uh, so that they could you know start to repopulate they're these they're the tiniest bunnies you will ever see in your whole entire life and they're the cutest things and they were just randomly on my facebook one day and i just started researching these bunnies and yeah there was like maybe they were down to like 12 at one point and they got up a little bit higher but they're just tiny bunnies palm-sized bunnies oh <laughs> I want a palm-sized bunny, but I can't have a living thing because I'm not home ever. So, yeah, so that was really cool. I just like bunnies. They're mm-hmm. just fluffy and cute. Yes. The other thing was uh, it, on, like, a Saturday or Sunday, put a farm-to-fork dinner that I'm doing a collaboration with with Raw Roots Farm, uh, which I love farm-to-fork things, and it sold out in two days, which was cool. Yeah. And uh, so that was something really interesting and kind of um, surprising mm-hmm. because I live an insular life where it's just wake up, go to work, go to work, do more work. Uh, and so kind of seeing this difference between being in Merced the first year and being in Merced the sixth year and the need for farm to fork things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been really cool. That's excellent. Yeah. That is excellent. Ask me if I'm surprised that that's sold out. Are you surprised? No, not even a little bit. And that's because (laughs) it's not even because of Farm to Fork, although I think it's an interesting concept that Merced is embracing a great deal, but it's because of you. So Tanisha herself has an amazing following that I can't wait to talk about later on when we geek out. But one of the things about you that made me so excited to bring you here is the fact that it is your your authenticity that you bring to the table. And I, I, because of the insular life that you kind of lead that you just admitted to it, uh, I don't think you realize quite how much that authenticity is kind of treasured among the people around you. And it's not just farm to fork that draws them to those events. It's the fact that you're doing it and they can't wait. You are a like a commodity that they can't wait to be a part of. You have a following and it's uh, it's it's really great to see that. I'm sorry, you posted that and I didn't even try and get a ticket because I knew it was going to be gone and I was <laughs> apparently correct. So yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, that's when you do hang out and you kind of just okay well i'm gonna wake up and go to work and make my breakfast and then you were like okay well let's get this going and you don't really think about the things outside of it it was just really really uh refreshing mm-hmm. uh, and interesting and kind of made me rethink what i'm doing and make make sure that i'm doing kind of the best quality things continuously so it reinvigorated that's incredible mm-hmm Well, those are the most interesting things that are going on this week, and they're all extremely interesting, no question about it. Yes. Again, if you have an interesting thing you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, you can tweet those at Podcast Phoenix on Twitter, or look us up on Facebook at Podcast Phoenix as well. 
Well, I think it's time for the main event. Oh my goodness, now's the time. So we're going to move right into our geeking out session here with Tanisha. Wonderful. And Noel, I'm going to let you lead it off. Let's see where this takes us. <laughs> I always do lead it off, and I'm excited to do that with Tanisha today. So uh, what are, where I want to start with you, Tanisha, is actually far before Merced, because you and I have something in common, and that's that we not only didn't grow up in Merced, but you grew up back east, what I would call back east. Do you want to tell me a little bit about where you grew up? And I'm just gonna leave that question open ended where you grew up and where dot, dot, up dot. and kind of what was before Merced. Um, so yeah, I am a East Coaster. I'm an East Coaster by way of North Carolina and DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a Woman, t- woman, Tonian. Uh, we are coastal and southern, mm. uh, so we're genteel, but we want to surf. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, hey, y'all want to go to the beach? That's kind of the whole situation. Uh, so growing up in the South was really interesting. It was a juxtaposition of, uh, you know, you have to be this person and you have to do these things, but also. You know, let's go and go be free and be beside the ocean and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So it was really fun to grow up there. And I got involved in the art scene there. They have a really big uh, kind of old ingrained art community, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then from there, went to school near Asheville, my undergrad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so beach and mountains, yep. really cool combination. And then... From my little towns in North Carolina, went up to the big old city of Alexandria, Virginia, actually, oh. but DC metro area, which was hey, went from hey y'all to no, don't talk to me. <laughs> so that was really that was a already big shift, and I had to kind of adjust the personality to fit yeah. that mm-hmm. kind of mentality there. Absolutely. And yeah, and the industry there is really intense. Mm-hmm. It really is. I uh, So that's the thing that I, I wanted to make sure we touched on is that I, so I'm from right outside the D.C. metro area as well, or within the D.C. metro area, and grew up partially in Alexandria, Virginia. Like, that's where quite a few of my dad's family was and where my dad was for a little while. And it's just, I really love the culture there. But yeah, you come out to, you go down south or you come into California, and it's just so incredibly different. It never fails to surprise me how many different shifts you can make within, you know, one one country, really. And even even within a state, even within like even within Virginia. Oh yeah. The southern the very southern parts and like where my where my dad lives now in Suffolk is a very different part than Alexandria or Virginia Beach, something like that. Uh, so I also want to touch briefly on the fact that this is a at least I believe a big influence on your cooking. It is. Uh so I Growing up, we had, you know, you could go to the pier and you can get seafood and things like that. And so it was a lot of farm to fork kind of before it was a thing. Mm-hmm. And you went to like the greens guy, you went to the boiled peanut man. If you want boiled peanuts, you know, it was mm-hmm. kind of individuals doing mom and pop things. And my default is southern regional. So it's use what you have make do growing up poor also had something to do with that it was like what do we have in the cupboards today let's make something good Mm -hmm. so uh that had a large influence on my cooking and i went to our home at class in my high school was instead of just you got to pick textiles or cooking i chose cooking and instead of us sitting in a classroom just making recipes 
Part of the time was sitting in the classroom making recipes, and part of the time was actually going out to a restaurant and prep cooking for our credits. Wow. That's so fun. Yeah. So I was a 15-year-old person going out and doing prep cooking in one of this, these really popular restaurants in downtown Wilmington. Mm. And it was really cool because I got this hands-on experience that most people don't really get to have mm-hmm. and got hired on with a special work permit right after that so i got to start a little bit earlier than some people do in the industry okay so we need to get that started right now around here like that needs to absolutely be a thing (laughs) if you are someone who uh works at schools or with restaurants or any of that please let's get this started i'm gonna go talk to somebody about this at mcoe tomorrow and we're gonna make it happen because that is just if if you i know that cte pathways are a big thing right mm-hmm. now uh, yes. and it's absolutely a thing that pe- that uh that kids are doing and i know that cooking is a part of that i've mm-hmm. i've seen uh, golden valley in merced and things like that with their with their cooking programs or culinary arts programs uh but i'm i don't think there's anything like that and it might be because restaurants don't quite realize they can utilize stuff like that absolutely uh, so someone Maybe not me, but someone needs to get on the ball and figure out how to do that. They also should probably figure out, you know, insurance things. I oh, did yeah. <laughs> um, when I was 15. That was the first time I ever chopped a fingertip. Off. <gasps> Good. Uh, yes. Yeah, because I was not paying attention. And uh, yeah, I was cutting greens and I just chopped <gasps> the tip of my pointer finger on my left hand off. Uh, and then there was blood and greens and fingertip, and I learned <laughs> to just wrap it up and keep it going. Yeah. So then I was looking down at my hands, and that was the first time I ever kind of soldiered through and got it done. Mm-hmm. And that taught me a good lesson uh, as much as the chopping greens taught me a lesson. Right. So yeah, insurance is a big part of why <laughs> I think that um, people might not want to think about it. Sure. But they had you know something with the school and you know their yeah. insurance, but. It was, yeah, it was a great experience. I would recommend that if people could, you know, even if the teenagers and the parents could go and talk to the restaurants and ask if they could start in any part of the restaurant, mm-hmm. even front of the house or back of the house. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, that was my first restaurant experience, too, was I was, I think, 15 or 16. That was hostessing and doing stuff like that. Very different, though, than being in the kitchen and prep cooking. I could not boil water until I was probably 19. So it, it would have probably been helpful to be in a kitchen somewhere and you do bet. that. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, you uh, Is that where you developed a love of cooking or was that already ingrained? Uh, no, I've been cooking with my mom since I was five years old. I asked how to make an egg and she told me, okay, well, this is how you make an egg. And so I had a little thing and I went up to the stove and I cracked an egg and she showed me how to whip it up and mm-hmm. uh and yeah and so in the south uh particularly food is life it's death it's happiness it's sadness you um you're either in the process of making food you're in the process of consuming food you're taking food to pl- people to make them feel better it's kind of nourishment for the soul mm. and so it became it was a part of the culture before even that so i had um just a healthy appreciation for food and a healthy understanding that not everybody had food mm. so the the nourishment that i got for my body was very special because it was something that you know not everybody had the partic- uh, the ability to participate in right and uh, it was I, I learned to be grateful for every morsel, everything that we had in the house. Mm, that is fantastic. And something that I feel like maybe not a lot of does doesn't go through every the mind of every American kid. 
So, and, and this is something that I was thinking of as you were saying that, and especially talking about your that your experience in the South and the connection with food there. I I feel like through much of the last century, specifically, the American culture as a whole lost contact with the the food that they ate. Uh, I think it started with the the onset of processing uh, processing foods in in the early part of the century. And then the more ubiquitous that that became through the middle of the century, the more Americans lost that touch with the food, that that hands-on experience with their food. It became just something else that they did, almost almost another appliance. In your experience, because you because you you came from it, how do you think that specific part of the United States? How did they keep that connection alive? Because I think it's. Not only was it alive through all of that, it's alive today, and I think it's a huge part of the resurgence of food as an experience back into the culture. So in a way, through that kind of dark age of food, I think that part of the country managed to keep that experience alive. What What's your take on that? Honestly, I think they did do fellowships um, because a lot of people in the South are highly religious, Like mm-hmm. even though I'm not now mm-hmm. as an adult. Uh, just going to church, you would have like X Sunday, you would have a fellowship with other people and then someone would bring the mac and cheese and someone would bring the collars and there'd be fridge fries, you know, and people when they gathered, especially because, you know, being a black woman, uh, African-American culture has uh, this kind of connection to food as well, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, you go in, you're going to the barbecue, you're going to go to the picnic, you're going to go to somebody's house, somebody's auntie's house for pig picking. Something is going to happen, and there is going to be food there. And people, uh, especially especially black people, we like food, and we like good food. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people would tell you about yourself if your food was subpar. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, Southerners are highly... Um, they like to, you know, tell it to you straight. I like yeah. straight talking. I'm, I'm uh, kind of still that way. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> oh my goodness! I love the idea that that there is a a section of the country that is more connected to food than than in other parts. I love that. And do you do you think that has anything to do with? I think of Southern culture as being, and this is not supposed to be a denigration at all. Slower. Like you mosey as opposed mm-hmm. or you stroll as opposed to walking quickly. You are a little you take your time a little bit more with things. Um, have you and I did I've never lived lived in the South. A lot of my family mm-hmm. did, but I never lived there just some visits. And so it gels with what I saw, but it doesn't mean I, I'm from that. What do you have to say on that? It depends on who you are and what you are right. doing in the South. Like me, I've never been one to mosey. Right. But uh, I have participated in the mosey. <laughs> Like, I've been made to slow down and assess and things like that. But I've always been, okay, well, what are we going to do next? Okay, we need to make a plan. Okay, we need to go do this. This is something that needs to happen. So I've always been that person. But my parents and a lot of my friends and other people who are even still at home, they're like, no, we need to take it one day at a time. We need to do this. We need to enjoy this moment. And I... I've always been a little bit more anxious to kind of do and be 
So there's those, there's a couple different types of people. There's the people who are appreciative and they kind of just take the time to sip the sweet tea and just sit on the porch. And then there's the people who sit on the porch for a second, shuffle their feet and they're like, okay, I gotta go. We gotta Mm -hmm. go do this thing. Right. So yes, that still exists. Mm -hmm. Um, It also depends on where you are. Like in the metropolitan areas, even in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. they're being, they're doing, there's large hospitals, like there's like Duke and things of that nature where Mm -hmm. they're just going and they have to be uh, kind of more rapid paced. Right. But it's still not as rapid paced as places like, you know, DC or larger sure. cities. Sure. It is its own version of it. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to m- switch topics real quick. We've gone through a little bit of cooking and I'm going to get back to that. But I want to talk about poetry now because the other thing that Tanisha does is Tanisha is a writer and Mm -hmm. a poet and not just like some people are like I'm gonna write some poetry real quick and it's gonna be fine Tanisha's a really good writer and poet I'm okay. Oh yeah, well, that's what that's what really good writers say. Really, not not great writers are like, oh no, I'm fantastic. Right. But yeah. uh, no, she's really great. Can you tell me a little bit about your history with uh, the written word, if you will? Okay. Well, I had always been attracted to poetry specifically because when I was reading kind of poets, I uh, would elicit it emotions that I didn't know it would elicit. And so I was like, okay, so what happened? Even when I was a little kid, I think I started writing little silly birds and bees and tree poems when I was in elementary school. And I have generalized anxiety. So it became, uh, as I you know started getting closer to not understanding why I felt so anxious or why everything felt so overwhelming, it started becoming more of a catharsis. Mm. So I started writing really intense things or I started writing about um, things that were traumatic or I would put into words what I was feeling and that would make me feel a bit more calm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was only writing, I was doing just written word until high school and then deaf poetry jam came on HBO and um, it was it was like this, these these radical, beautiful, typically black, but they had all sorts of, they had Latino, they had all these other people just speaking their truth, but articulating it in this way that was beautiful. And it just spoke to me and it resonated so hard. So then I got attracted by just the spoken element of the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, you do, I, when I was in, I used to think it was so cool when I was in high school, I would, I would say I spit. Mm-hmm. And what I meant was I perform poetry, right? Yeah. That's uh, that's not a real thing, I don't think. But that's definitely <laughs> what I called it. Um, yeah. But I, uh, but so you, you did you begin performing poetry? Did yeah, you begin, yeah, but I kind of did a caricature of what I thought deaf poets were when I first sure. started. You know, mm-hmm. the poetry hands, the higher they go, the better, you know, you think you sound. <laughs> or, like, I have to sound like this, because if I sound like this, I'm going to sound better. You know, like, there's this poetry voice that oh, was yes. starting to happen. Uh-huh. And a lot of, and there's many poets who still kind of follow that format, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But I found that your genuine voice actually brings out a lot more uh, reaction in the readers and the listeners because, you know, they become enthralled in everything that you're saying. They hang on every word because every word means something. Mm -hmm. And it actually grips them more. So I stopped taking myself seriously uh, after I wrote this nonsensical kind of poem, it was it was not really nonsensical. It made sense to me, and it uh, it was, but it was kind of something I did really fast. And I was like, 
okay, for my 18th year, I'm going to, I'm graduating. I'm going to enter this adult poetry jam. And these people were writing about these things and I didn't understand some of them. And I went up there and I said this thing and it didn't, it touched kind of my heart a little bit, but it didn't, it wasn't completely genuine. And I said it and I won second place out of all these all these like adults who were doing this thing mm-hmm. and i was like well that's all right all right well mm-hmm. that's okay and in college i got more into writing and more into doing real things and uh actually doing different writing besides poetry mm-hmm. and it felt honest and i like honest writing that's uh i think that's a beautiful sentiment and really carries through what i was talking about earlier in terms of just your authenticity uh tanisha is the you are the person that you are unapologetically (laughs) all the time but an unapologetic individual is so uh i i'm gonna say attractive and what Mm -hmm. i mean is that you're compelling you you draw people to you you're like a magnet personality (laughs) (laughs) some people would beg to differ (laughs) well and and you will there are people who will not necessarily be attracted to that but that's those are not people you want around your genuine authenticity (laughs) like i don't know what else to say about that That's uh, that's it's a really charismatic thing that you bring to the table. Uh, what about we were talking earlier about horror specifically? Do you have another genre, particularly horror, that you might be interested in writing? I love horror fiction. <laughs> like the scarier, the more creepy, the more like twisted and insane, the more it touches the psychological crazy that we all have like hidden in this like weird locked door inside of us. Mm-hmm. The more I yeek out really hard about it, because on the outside I consider myself a wholesome deviant. Mm-hmm. I look really squeaky clean and it's like oh look it's fat cheeks look at everything and then it's like oh my god i'm a freak on the inside and it's lovely and i love it um but no so yeah one of my favorite other podcasts is no sleep the no sleep podcast that's the one that got me back into like kind of more listening to horror Mm -hmm. but i have been a b horror movie fanatic since i was maybe in middle school elementary school i would go into blockbuster i'm dating myself i go to blockbuster Blockbuster. and they had like the picks that you can go like the staff picks and i would go i'm like all right what do you think is like the weirdest one like not the coolest one not the best one that's the most selling but what is gonna trick my mind out Mm -hmm. and so they'd give me these weird things i think my favorite one is this um still even it's uh called dolls and dolls is the premise is if you're a child or a child at heart, mm-hmm. you know, you're safe. Yep. But everybody else is not, yep. essentially. Yeah. And it was so <laughs> ridiculous, yeah. but it's so good. And, uh, you know, there's... I, I got really into for a second a, a couple of the doll inspired ones because my mom collected porcelain dolls. Oh, my God. And I no. collected porcelain dolls. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so it was extra creepy because my mom would have these like black porcelain dolls just on these shelves in boxes just looking at me while I'm watching these creepy movies. And so I am a chicken, but also I love scaring myself. So it's this mm-hmm. weird cyclical thing that I go through. Oh my goodness. Porcelain dolls are really freaky. Can we talk about that for a second? Can we make a non-freaky porcelain doll? No, I, I don't think it's possible. No, I'm sorry. I I don't I don't think you can make a non freaky porcelain doll. 
dolls as in in general, yeah. right? They dwell very firmly in that uncanny valley, yes. right? Where it's eh, it's looks human, mm-hmm. but it really doesn't. But mm-hmm. it looks kind of human, and it's that space where. We just get really un- we get uncomfortable with mm-hmm. that simulacrum, right? Right, and uh, porcelain dolls are worse in a lot of cases, especially the old ones, mm-hmm. uh, because I think of some of the craftsmanship that went into them, right? Because they were brought just to the edge of looking like like there was life, but there's something unearthly about them when they mm-hmm. look when you look at them. Have Absolutely. you heard of the ones that look like? real babies oh. there's creepy ones now no, that no. look extra real no. and people like they mm. they commission them to look like yeah it's oh my god i saw that i was like this is scary no. these people they want something that looks like it's gonna breathe any moment mm. oh my goodness yeah. oh that's so frightening yeah, I don't like it. No, I don't like <laughs> but it. But I love it at the same time. <laughs> well, and there's got to be like the the care, like you said, the craftsmanship and the care that yep. goes into that. Like I honestly, that has I, I feel like I want to be inside the mind of someone whose job is to make this thing look as real as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it really different than someone drawing a or painting a portrait, like a realistic life like portrait? But for some reason, that is not as creepy as doing it on a figure, and not just a figure, but the figure of a child. I think that for one thing. We discovered early on as a species that you can shift childhood just a little bit to the left Mm. and twist something that we naturally have an instinct to think of as innocent Mm. and sweet and pure and perfect. And you can shift that just a little bit to the left. And when you do, it gets real scary real fast. It would have always creeped me out. Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. Like this. See, if you think about like the singing children's voices, right? Like that's the scariest thing that yes. could ever happen. Yes. Right. Well, I'm glad we, I'm glad we geeked out on dolls. That's yeah. cool. I, that, that was not, that was not a, a thing that was actually, but, uh, but horror is a thing that you're, you're actually doing right now. Did you, I heard you wrote a story recently that you yeah, were. Yeah. I wrote a story that was, I submitted it to a podcast, but it was a little too obscure for that particular podcast, which makes sense because of the subject matter mm-hmm. of, um, it's kind of a connective of Southern matriarchal society, mother and daughter relationships, uh, witchcraft, uh, the idea of uh, black women and hoodoo mm. or um, kind of that whole culture. And then also the idea of what we are ingesting, mm. uh, how we put our blood, sweat and tears into things yes. uh, and sometimes literally Oh, uh, so oh. yeah, it's called Do You Know the Muffin Man? Oh my god. Uh, and so, I'm so yeah, freaked out right now. There is a uh, there's a thing that's going to happen in October. I've forgotten the date. I don't have my handy dandy planner on me. Um, but it's October 20 something mm-hmm. and it's called Sunday with the Monsters and it's going to happen at Coffee Bandits. And it's gonna be really fun. My friend Anya Martin wrote a book, mm. and her um, her partner Scott Nicolay is gonna be reading something, and then I'm gonna read this very weird story that came out of the back of my psyche. <laughs> That's incredible. That sounds great. So check that out at Coffee Bend at sometime in uh, late October. That's going to be really rad. We'll have to link up to that. Yeah, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. And and for those of you who are listening elsewhere, that's Coffee Bend. It's in Merced, California. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, let, let's talk briefly about what you coming out to Merced with the culture shift that must have happened there. Like I, we've talked about the culture of South. We've talked about the culture of D.C., and then you were suddenly in Merced. 
Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, what uh, what was that? And I love Merced, and I know you do too, mm-hmm. but... So the long and short of it was ex-partner, um, mm-hmm. and I, I needed to get away from D.C. D.C. was eating my soul. Mm-hmm. I was just nom-nomming all on my soul, and I was becoming the worst version of myself towards the end of my stint there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to be as peaceful as possible, you know, salty in there as well, because that's kind of ingrained in my being. Sure. But mm-hmm. as chill as is possible for me. Absolutely. But I was becoming more aggressive and things of that nature. So coming here was a start to be able to, you know, be more of my authentic self and be more happy in a regard that I needed to find what would make me happy. Sure. Uh, That went south, the person I was with. And, you know, as it does. And I originally (laughs) stayed in Merced. Honestly, I originally stayed in Merced because you don't bring a social person to a small town and treat them poorly. So I wanted to haunt his days. Yes. <laughs> Straight up. Uh, and so I, I think stayed. that's fantastic. Let's do a horror podcast about that. <laughs> I kind of like that. actually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I stayed and I, you know, I was like, OK, well, let me see what this culture is and let me see what the people are like. And the more I started learning about the people, and the more I started kind of learning about the town and how there's a genuine nature that's kind of in the in the heart of it mm-hmm. the more i fell in love with it i i know like i made friends by and this is creepy in itself i would ride the bike that i found in our garage because i didn't have a car at that time i ride the bike from all the way across town to downtown every single day with my laptop sit in a corner typing up looking for people who could potentially be my friends mm. he left me he left me like to fend for myself four days after moving here and that is a problem because i was in my own mind wow. so i was typing on the computer and i was like scoping out like, this person looks interesting i really want to be their friend and so i'd be like hi my name's tanisha i'm awkward and i really want to be your friend can we be friends i just moved here and so sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't but that's how i create uh that's how I um, curated most of my beginning friendships here, mm-hmm. and it just kind of spanned uh, meeting other people in different regards from that. But it was like a complete week of just, hi, what's your name? And it was funny because one of my friends, Kurt, who was a previous owner, um, co-owner, he was behind the, the coffee bar every day when I, that, that I'd be there, and he was like, this girl's weird, but okay, let's be friends, I guess. And we became really close friends, and it was really kind of hilarious because that's this, that's how it stemmed. Yes. And I, to think that you went from being super awkward in a town where nobody knew you to, like I said, being a literal staple. It's like, and here's yeah. Coffee Bandits, and here's the pub, and here's Playhouse Merced, and here's the Mac, and here's Tanisha, and she does all these fun things. And it's just a very, uh, it's you're, you're absolutely a staple of, of downtown Merced. Mm-hmm. In a very, in a very good, she's like, I don't know how to respond to that. Yeah. In a very good way. You're like, again, your authenticity draws people to you. Um, you are uh, incredibly charming and beautiful. And so it's really easy for people to go, there she is. Yay. She's also the one who cooks amazing vegan food. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, it's funny. Is in DC, when I first moved there, people were kind of ve- like, vegan, what? No. <laughs> um, and then I came here and I was like, okay, well, I kind of want to focus on different dietary restrictions, different uh, ways that people can get sustenance. So I had vegan friends and I had people who requested vegan things. And I was like, well, I don't really. I'm from the South. We use lots of butter. Um, but um, <laughs> Cheese on that. You want yeah, some cheese on that? You want some cheese? You want some extra <laughs> sugar? So uh, then, you know, I started figuring out how to mad scientist 
treats that tasted good to me on not being vegan, but also would appease to people who had alternative um, dietary restrictions or alternative um, ways of eating. And then that expanded to gluten-free, and then it was paleo, and then it was keto. And there's, you know, I don't do a lot of the other things, but I, you know, I try to have a couple staples if I'm doing an event, and I ask now what dietary restrictions are there, and I tell which ones I can provide. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful because there's not very many people who are willing to, you know, maybe say, okay, well, you have to pay a little bit extra because I have to get this one ingredient, but I can definitely do this this additional thing for this event. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you are also the first place that I ever, I know I don't know how I'm behind the times like this, but you're the first place I ever ran into the idea of a pop-up dinner. Like a mm. pop-up event makes sense to me, uh -huh. but I actually volunteered at one point for a pop-up uh, what, what did we call it? It, was a, it wasn't just a dinner. It was an event. It was a speakeasy. It was a pop-up speakeasy. Wow. And it was this full catered dinner. And it was such an interesting concept that, I mean, I wanted to eat, obviously, but I also just wanted to help. I ended up food running back and forth from uh, where, 510. We did it at 510 and, uh, when the partisan had that back room. Yes. So it was this, you had, it had this cool side door thing and you could open it. And my friend was like, what's the password? And everyone had been given the password, but they didn't get told where the place was that time. So, they you know, it. and they knew the menu and they knew kind of the password, but they didn't know the exact location of where they were eating. And they geeked out over that because it was just another fun element having this whole, because people, when you go out to eat, you're going out for an experience. So creating whole experiences because even after that did a um event with my friend don Troop and she wrote her and uh, my co-worker matt mm -hmm. robinson they wrote this murder mystery and it was a three course meal and each act three acts were the entrees and the appetizers and the dessert so it kind of corresponded with one another and the actors kind of came in and out and they talked about kind of a menu item mm -hmm. and then that's kind of what they were eating and so it was really immersive yeah so creating um memorable events surrounding food because you know the act of dining is an event within itself but we need to make it more memorable and make it more fun sometimes mm -hmm. uh, because you know we have the luxury of having delicious food and the central valley is spoiling me so much <laughs> with the fresh produce and mm -hmm. the local farmers and all of this stuff i like to give back by giving people something else to do in this town absolutely oh absolutely yeah i it, it, there's there's this concept in merced at least or rather there's two sides to the concept there's a concept that there's nothing to do which is hilarious because i can't seem to get a night off from doing something and i same. feel like you probably feel the same <laughs> way right there is so much to do you just have to kind of look you have to be aware of diff things that might be different or mm -hmm. or outside the box this is that that sounds like one of those things uh you said uh, what did you just say you said uh, oh i they have to give them something to have fun with. And I feel like sometimes it's not even about fun as much as like just acknowledgement. Like it's not like the meal itself is already delicious, but 
we're not let's not instead instead of uh, simply looking up and not paying attention to it let's like really savor and enjoy this literally the entertainment reflects it like Mm -hmm. it's about the food and the entertainment becoming one uh so i want to talk about something else uh i want to ask about burlesque specifically Mm -hmm. i want to ask about uh some of the experiences that are are going on right now because i read about them on facebook obviously and it looks like you're having a really good time in this kind of realm yeah, I, uh, as I get older, every year I discover a little bit something else about myself that I didn't know the year before. And, uh, I knew for a very long time that I was interested in pinup and burlesque and the old like, kind of boudoir and pinup and just that whole, that whole lifestyle and, um, that whole kind of genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so burlesque, I had been following it since the old times with Gypsy Rose Lee sure. and Vaudeville and all of these other items. And I loved it. I watched the old talkies. Mm. I watched the old Marilyn Monroe films. I watched the old 40s films where they have these beautiful, you know, these beautiful lingerie things, these beautiful peignoirs. And I'm like, I love that. I've been in love with it forever. So, at 33, that's the age I am now, I guess, um, and I decided I feel comfortable enough in whatever size my body is right now that I feel comfortable in my skin. Amen, sister. And it took a long time, uh, and it was an up and down road, but now I wanted to do something now that I had a little bit of free time, not real free time, but time that I was willing to allot to doing something else. Mm-hmm. So I contacted, uh, I contacted a burlesque troupe that some of my friends uh, from Modesto had gone to called the Bungalow Bunnies. Mm. And I was like, hey, uh, my friends saw you. They thought you were awesome. I'm really interested in pursuing getting into this, um, this lifestyle, this scene. Uh, I had just gone up to uh, the uptown in Oakland. Uh, and seen uh, Frankie Fictitious and Bunny Pistol and a couple other really awesome people from the Hubba Hubba Review. Mm. Uh, and they have it like they have a show every like Monday night in San Francisco. But oh, I had wow. gone to a special Saturday thing in Oakland and I geeked out really hard. They were so beautiful and everybody was doing their thing. And they were so comfortable and I loved it so much. And then when they got off the stage and we got to meet everybody at the bar, they were, I, I always dress up for shows. Doesn't matter if it's a small show or a big show. I got taught when I was younger, you dress up for a show. Mm-hmm. You dress out. So yeah, and so they were like, we saw you. I was like, you saw me? I was like, I was seeing you. Like, no, 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 we saw you. Do you do burlesque? I was like, no, 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 but I saw you. And I geeked out again, you know, mm-hmm. and it was great. And it kind of reinvigorated my love for burlesque and pinup and this whole this whole scene. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's something that would not be terrible to pursue right uh so contacted that the bungalow bunnies and they were super nice and they were like okay well all right you seem really enthused uh so come check it out you know stage bunny and what a stage bunny is because they're the bungalow bunnies is usually called a stage kitten Mm. and a stage kitten is a person that goes around and after the burlesque uh act does their items they pick up their you know their tights or their whatever they have their props and they're a stagehand that helps and they wanted to make sure you know i was comfortable or i got along with the girls or i was dedicated and i did a couple different shows uh where i stage bunnied for these just amazing ladies we had there's a fire tassel uh like a fire tassel lady and she now does fire eating and that's 
Uh, oh my god, wow. it's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Wow. And then there's a man eating mermaid, oh and there's gosh. a person who sings, and there's a person who has been in a couple other burlesque acts. Yeah. And she, they were just all so welcoming. There's different body types and different colors and shapes and sizes. And these women were just so comfortable in their skin and this, this environment of inclus- inclusiveness and, um, just positive nature just drew me in so that after my third or fourth bunnying uh they asked if i wanted to be part of it and i said please Yay. i would love to and that's when peachy queen was born oh peachy queen tell me about peachy queen peachy queen is a culmination of my north carolina and my dc yes so peachy is a southern debutante uh super clutch of pearls but also real salty in a very genteel way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh the queen component is yas queen the kind of slightly <laughs> ratchet a little bit a little bit like in your face but in a but kind of working hand in hand with my southern nature and it's all the components of my silly and my sarcastic and my southern and the love of boudoir all put into one character i recently did a debut performance where i debuted as peachy queen and i got to incorporate i i reimagined one of my poems about my thighs as a burlesque performance wow how did it go over it went super well it was surprisingly well received i was really excited because it mixed genteel southern debutante a little bit of a diva as well as the poetry persona and this kind of weird umami that seemed to work and people geeked out hard with me oh i'm so excited to hear that that is so neat incredible that is not something i it's not something i think of when i think of performance it's like i forget about the idea that burlesque and like a combination of like like strange talents and stuff you wouldn't normally find on stage it exists and it's not only does it exist but it's incredibly rad and like sexy and cool and fun and i i totally forget about that i saw uh, that there was some Peachy Queen stuff that was coming out on Facebook, and I was geeking out hard with you. Obviously, I wasn't <laughs> able to make it to the show, but I was geeking out hard with you. That sounds like so much. And poetry and burlesque, that's my jam. Yeah, I think I want to alter a couple other poems at different junctures, because that seemed like something that wasn't necessarily being done, but it kind of gives the hat tip to vaudeville and just performative mm-hmm. versus um, kind of modern burlesque yeah uh and i really i don't know i really like to shake it up and not do uh standard things i just want to be silly and not take myself seriously because 99.9 of my life is taking myself seriously exactly no that's not the time for it wow it burlesque you talk about modern burlesque right but it's had it's had a tremendous resurgence over the last over the last decade or so right so what's yeah what's what's behind that movement it's uh, people feeling empowered to take back kind of an art form that is embracing themselves and embracing their own power and kind of people have likened it to just stripping or things of that nature. Mm. And that's not necessarily what it is. Mm. Yes, sometimes pasties are involved. Yes, sometimes <laughs> like you see your butt. Ooh, but <laughs> you see those on beaches. But it's just people who get to act out 
uh, an inner portion of themselves that had been kind of shamed. There had mm. been a shaming culture that had uh, surged up. Like, good girls don't act like this. Right. Bad girls act like this. People, you know, and people likening it to women they want to marry or women. And people are taking that. And it's not even women. It's inclusive of uh, it's inclusive of people who have different gender identities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's boylesque. There's um, there's queer uh, identifying burlesque things. It's mm-hmm. people taking back power of their own narrative and telling a story through their dance or through their performance or through their interpretation of a caricature of their life. Yeah. That is fascinating. And what a wonderful expression of how, uh, well, just an expression of who they are. Uh, and and it's it's amazing that we live in a place. One of the things I do love about Merced is even if it's not existent in Merced, you're usually about two hours from it, like yeah. at like tops. That's true. Um, yeah. And so being able to get quickly to San Francisco, to Oakland, to a place like that and be able to see such interesting work and i will call it like it's work it's art it's absolutely mm-hmm. uh, it's not something that just happens it's not easy and it's not definitely not easy on people to do i imagine that can be very nerve-wracking sometimes to go yeah. up and be authentic in your performance when there is a potential of a shame a shame factor or a shame element that we're only now kind of surging out of oh yeah um we uh the fun part about the bungalow bunnies is that they, uh, so Starlet O'Hara, one of the founders of it, Starlet O'Hara, Reese Rose, and a couple other ladies got together and they had been under different producers mm. and the producers were the people who organized and ran and did kind of told people what to do, but they wanted to do something that was more, uh, authentic. So each performer does their own choreography. They, you know, perform their own things. They pick their songs. They pick, they are each individuals doing their genuine things. It's not someone telling them what to do. We just, you know, we all are together. We all are on the stage and we're all a team, but we're individuals coming together for a, for one, one sole purpose versus one entire show of like, it has to be cohesive. It has to be something that we told you to do. So that's really, really cool. Right. Well, and there's a there's a gypsy parallel there. There's a, a coming out from Mama Rose kind of mm-hmm. story there that exists. I feel like we should we definitely should modernize gypsy and, and bring these kinds of elements into it. Because I bet taking back your power like that is something that when you take the name gypsy off the front of it, people would go, oh, yeah, no, I, rem- I, I can absolutely identify with that. Yep. Yeah, that's fascinating. I love that. I want to go. I want to go see it. Yeah, we have a couple shows coming up. Uh, there is one October 19th at the Whiskey Barrel in Stockton, California. Okay. And it's an oddities and kind of spooky themed act. Uh, so it's going to be real fun because we all love oddities and weird things mm-hmm. and creepy things. And so the ladies are going to bring it out. And I think we're going to be with a band. Um, I've forgotten the band's name. I think it's Dirty Pillows. Mm. Uh, and so it should be it should be a fun time. And yeah, every time we go there, the people there are really cool. They're really welcoming. And we have a fun turnout. And it's just a it's just a fun time. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, you give me give me one more give me something that's like the title of your autobiography. If you could sum up to Nisha in just a couple of words, what would you title the book of your life? The Giggling Weirdo? 
the giggling weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, authentic to you. <laughs> I laugh uh, when I'm nervous or I kind of use humor or um, sarcasm or saltiness as kind of a as a buffer or kind of a shield sometimes. And sometimes it's used as um, just uh, diffusing a situation. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. it's And I'm I'm fine running my fleet freak flag saying i i highly identify as weirdo and i'm cool with that terminology so i was like oh you weirdo i'm like yeah i am let's yes. do this yes fantastic i love the positivity that you bring to the table at all points in time like it really i don't think i've ever really heard you be negative or i mean there's sarcasm involved don't get me wrong and there's you know you're like i don't like this thing but it's all about i don't like this thing and therefore i'm going to infuse it with love or send yeah. positivity their way because that it's that person a, needs help it's a slippery slope and a hard slope but I, i've had to really work on that honestly sure uh, i had to flip my dc self which was the most negative person oh wow and try not to go my default honestly is negative mm. uh, actually so my default is like, oh, anger, negativity. So every day I have to refocus and recenter on what is it that I'm actually trying to accomplish. And the only rule I made with myself when I moved to California was my core to be happy. Oh. So whatever, I could be upset, happy, mm-hmm. sad, angry, whatever on the outside. But my core, I try to keep this uh, unshakable um, positivity that even if the outside influences are not necessarily making it so right. that my inside needs to kind of try to get back to it as, as soon as possible. How So how do you keep your core positive, though? What do you go through to make uh, to maintain I that? meditate. I was I, hoping you would say that. <laughs> I meditate. I also uh, have energy candles and things of that nature, kind of new agey, fun, kind of witchy type things. Yeah. Uh, I will just sit in a room and just have quiet because that's something that I'm not getting when I'm doing all the things. Sure. Uh, recentering with quiet, recentering with some something that brings me out of my own head, or just just talking to someone that puts me in check. A mm. friend that's like, nah, that's not right. <laughs> Get out of that headspace. <laughs> right. Like, you know, talking to some of my saltier friends, like I miss some of my friends back home because they're straight talkers. They're yeah. like, nah, that's not right. Nah. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, you're right. You're right. That's not right. And then kind of just rechecking. So it's a couple different check-ins or just write a poem and the poem is going kind of askew. And it's like, no, is that how I really feel or is that how I feel like somebody feels I should feel? Right. And then that will kind of pop me back out as well. That's wonderful. I feel like the other thing I would like you to do is I'd love someone exactly as authentic as you are to kind of share those uh, th- those centering methods. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I don't think I would have ever thought about writing a poem and analyzing it for, is this the way I really feel? And I do write poetry, but that's mm-hmm. not something I generally ask. And if I look back even just superficially over poems I've written and haven't liked, if I scan through them mentally, it is that I'm trying to place something on top of it that is not authentic mm-hmm. uh, and an authentic feeling and that uh, so i you know I, I wish i could get back the last 15 years of my poetry writing life because that would really help me and the idea of silence oh my goodness we don't get enough silence in our lives you don't we always have some kind of slow white noise because even in the silence mm-hmm. there's not true silence unless mm-hmm. you go sometimes i'll just hop on a yards because i'm close enough i'll just hop on a yards and i'll just disappear uh and i'll just go up to mariposa or I'll go up to you know there's yosemite and I'll just sit 
and I won't bring my notebook. I will only just bring my phone because I don't want to get lost in the middle of the woods just in case like the yard right. splits doesn't pick me back up and then I'm <laughs> stuck in the woods and someone's going to kill me. You know, it goes back to my right. mind wandering and being crazy. And some just bear. Kind of, yeah, some random bear, yeah. some random like creepy person who just happened to get out of a whatever, you know, horror oh, movie status. Just, like, like, a, like, a, like an escaped mental patient? Yeah. Is that what you're yeah. talking about, right? Or, you know, you know, set up for a horror movie mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And the black person always dies. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not oh, I'm not trying to do that. So, yeah, that kind of goes back to it. So, I, I so you even, keep the phone. Yeah, even in my, even in my, okay, I need to find some zen. I'm just like being a weirdo. No, you gotta have the emergency <laughs> lifeline. You gotta keep that yeah. there. No, in this, in this age of technology, you gotta make sure you have one point of contact, but, uh, but that's it. I hear you mm-hmm. on that. So I'm a, I'm a city hippie. Like I'm slightly crunchy, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. but I, uh, I need my running water and, you know, access to the necessities that I feel are necessities. Mm-hmm. I don't camp. I oh, glamp if I if I do anything. There needs to be an RV or a cabin involved. Oh, let's go glamping. I would yes, totally go glamping. I'd go glamping. I do you. not want to. Yeah, I don't want to do. I don't want to get dirty. I don't sleep on the ground. No. no. That's <laughs> why they have so, beds. Yeah, so I'll go yeah. like you know in the daytime to Yosemite uh, and sit in the wildflowers in the springtime, or I'll go sit and like beside a river and just be there and then mm-hmm. go home. It's great. You know, Tanisha, as I sit here and talk with you, the one thing that I take away from you is that I very rarely meet somebody who is as intentionally in control of their entire narrative. Mm. And everything that I've heard you say tonight from from your art, through your experiences in burlesque, through just your your experience in moving to Merced in the, in the first place and the way that you meet people, everything that I've heard you say is about you taking control and you being in control of your narrative. And I don't meet that many people who think about it, mm-hmm. you know, who think about the person that they really are and the way that person's going inter- to intersect with the world. And then the people that I do know who think about it, I don't meet very many of them who are successful at doing it all the time. Right. And I think that's what I've taken away from you tonight is that it is possible. I think it takes a, a lot of your positivity and I think it takes a lot of your personality and charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is possible to to be the person that, you know, that you want to be. And that's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to piggyback on that slightly, I think there's uh, just in my dealings with with students and with kids, I hear a lot of this idea of because I don't have a lot of this is something that teenagers deal with all the time, right? Is I don't have a lot of power in my life in general. Mm-hmm. And I hear that and I feel for that. Uh, but there's something to be said about the fact that no matter if you can't control anything else, you can control the narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's so I love that phrasing. That's very powerful and hopefully, hopefully helpful. Again, like, mm-hmm. can we make a can we write a book just about control? I'm sure everybody's done this already. I haven't read it. Someone <laughs> point me in the direction of a book about controlling your narrative or Tanisha, feel free to, to, you know, give a workshop because I would love to take that. Right. Andrew's absolutely correct. Your your positivity and your personality and your charm goes a very long way. And I love the intentionality of your life. Thank you, guys. It actually stems from an anxious mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that not being in control of things made me desire to be in control of things mm-hmm. more. And the desire to be in control of things more made me, like, focus on doing just that. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of, I'm always in my brain and making it have more of a um, purpose of being in there, I Mm -hmm. guess. Absolutely. That's what had to happen. Yeah. 
So we are going to take a break now. We're going to plug another project that we've got coming up, and it's going to dovetail a little bit into some of the things that we've talked about. <laughs> but we're going to go ahead and plug that project, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to do our last segment here with Tanisha. It's something new and exciting, and I'm really looking forward to it. So we'll see you all on the other side of the break. Hello, Operative. It's been a while since we received any contact from you. I've been taken into custody by an unidentified force and am currently being held against my will at an unknown location. Forty-six, ninety-nine, one hundred and eleven. Please follow the instructions you have been given. Zero, 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 zero. We will wait patiently, but whether the response comes today, tomorrow, or at a future time, it will come. And when it does, we will be prepared to respond. It's the operation coming to the Phoenix Podcast Network in September. Each episode contains a mystery, and it's up to you to solve it. Listen to the operation starting in September on the Phoenix Podcast Network. All right, so we are back here with Tanisha, and we're going to close things out tonight with a new segment that we've got. We are calling this our lightning round. So in the lightning round, what we're going to do is we're going to subject our guest. Oh, subject the guest. You like that? We're going to subject them. I do. Them. Yeah. We're going to subject them to 10 questions, just short answer questions. You don't have to, you don't have to pontificate. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to feel like, you know, you ha- you've got to give us an essay on everyone. Uh, we're going to just shoot back and forth and we're going to have you answer. So are, are you ready, Tanisha? I suppose I am. All right, good. So I'm going to start. First question I have for you is... What is your favorite zoo animal and why? I like pandas. They're fat. They're lazy. I love them. I wish I was them. That's it. Fantastic. I love it. Uh, what's in your fridge that isn't in most people's fridge? Uh, Golgerjang. It's a fermented red chili paste that I use for Korean bulgogi. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. and, and you'll bring some next time. Yes. Wonderful. That sounds delicious. If you could live in any type of building, what would you choose? treehouse because they're outside and they're chill and as long as i had electricity and real stuff like i just think it's close to the sky and i like the sky i don't know it's wonderful amazing what is your favorite donut and from where i like original glazed hot hot fresh from Krispy Kreme. only when the light's on there's an Mm -hmm. app that you can monitor when the light's on because i'm a fat kid like that (laughs) (laughs) me too (laughs) (laughs) love it i love it if you had to give up either ice cream, cookies, or cake for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? It's easy. I'm lactose intolerant. Ice cream got to go. Oh, there you go. Hey, that was easy. Simple. I didn't know nice wow. and simple. Tanisha, what does God look like? God is the universe, so that it doesn't have a face or a name or anything of that sort. It's just us existing as humans in the larger scan of the world that we live in. Hmm. If you had unlimited funds 
what is a hobby you would try or something you would try that you've never tried before? Hmm. Oh, I brew beer and I'd like start a brewery and do really weird, cool uh, molecular gastronomy in this restaurant. Like, that'd be really fun. Just play with a bunch of different stuff, like anti-griddles and, like, freeze some things that are not necessarily frozen and heat up things that are not necessarily heated up and serve, thing and weir- serve things and weird things. I'd just go crazy with it. Amazing. That's yeah. wonderful. So which of the five senses would you give up in exchange for world peace? Hearing, because you feast with your eyes first, and then you smell, and then you taste but I could not necessarily hear people talking and then that would create equal, that would create more peace because then I wouldn't have to hear some of the, the crap that people talk. Mm. Mm, Yeah. Good. Good. All right. My last one is extremely deep. So I, you know, I hope you're prepared for this. Mm -hmm. If you had your choice, would you rather be hunted by werewolves or vampires? Vampires. I want to be a vampire. I'm a succubus. (laughs) Okay. Good answer. That good answer. That really was that's actually easy too. that's actually the right answer. Good okay, job. Good job. We didn't realize there was a right answer, yes. did you? Yes. There's a right answer to all of these. So far, she's doing well. I'm okay. keeping score. Good. Okay. Tanisha, drum roll, please. If you were a flavor, what flavor would you be? Anything but chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I love chocolate, <laughs> but as an African American woman, I am tired of being compared to it. <laughs> fantastic that's amazing oh my gosh tanisha it has been so much fun to have you on the podcast thank you so much for driving out to modesto with me well thank you for having me guys yeah thank you tanisha and thank you for listening thanks for joining us again this week on geeking out geeking out is a production of the phoenix podcast network an affiliate of the phoenix creative collective you can connect with the phoenix creative collective by emailing phoenixccmerced at gmail.com You can find them online on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Phoenix CC Merced. The Phoenix Podcast Network offers a variety of shows like our scripted interactive audio drama, The Operation, launching in September, and the upcoming horror anthology, Ashburn, featuring seemingly disconnected tales of the supernatural that all somehow find their way back to a tiny town off the main highway in rural Nebraska. You can find the Phoenix Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter at Podcast Phoenix or email Network at gmail.com. That's all for this week. We look forward to having you join us next week as we geek out. 